0: It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland. Featuring stimulating, in depth interviews with special guests from all areas of the arts. And now, here's your host for It's a Question of Balance, Ruth Copland.
1: Welcome to the show where we balance the intellectual with the creative, exploring whether we have more in common than divides us through thought provoking conversations. For the topic hour, I go out and about and talk to people on the street about a wide variety of different subjects that affect us all, both locally and globally. And for this, the arts hour, I interview local, national, and international guests from all areas of the arts. And the show combines a debate topic with an arts interview. Because I feel discussion and creativity are two of the most vital ways we engage with the world. Well, this week is my special guest from the arts. I'm pleased to be interviewing New York Times best selling duo author Kate Schatz and artist Miriam klein Stahl. Together they have produced four illustrated books, Rad American Women, A to Z, or A to Z if you're American, Rad Women Worldwide, the illustrated journal My Rad Life, and the latest iteration in the series Rad Girls Can, a bold collection of stories and art about inspiring and accomplished girls who have made positive impacts on the world before the age of 20. Miriam Klein-Stahl is a Bay Area artist, educator and activist and in addition to her work in printmaking, drawing, sculpture, paper cut and public art, she's also the co-founder of the Arts and Humanities Academy at Berkeley High School where she's taught since 1995. Miriam's socially relevant artwork creates portraits of political activists, misfits, radicals and radical movements and has been widely exhibited and reproduced internationally. As an educator, Miriam is dedicated to addressing equity through the lens of the arts. She's also the co-owner of Pave the Way Skateboards, a queer skateboarding company formed with Los Angeles-based comedian, actor, writer and skateboarder Tara Jepsen. Kate Schatz is a Bay Area writer, organiser, public speaker, educator and feminist activist, as well as authoring the four rad women series books Kate Writes Fiction. And her work has been published in numerous publications, with her short story Folsom Survivor included as a notable short story in Best American Short Stories 2011. Her book of fiction, Rid of Me, A Story, was published in 2006 as part of the acclaimed 33 and a third series. And her essay, Dear White People, appears in the recent anthology Radical Hope, Letters of Love and Dissent in Dangerous Times. As an educator, Kate has worked with a wide range of age groups for over 15 years, including teaching at UC Santa Cruz, San Jose State, Rhode Island College and Brown University. She's a frequent public speaker at notable events and is the founder of Solidarity Sundays, a nationwide network of over 200 feminist activist groups who meet monthly to take coordinated, nonviolent political action. Kate and Miriam's latest book is Rad Girls Can and if you're listening in the Bay Area they're going to be at Bookshop Santa Cruz on July 23rd at 7pm to talk about it, answer questions and sign copies. Welcome to the show Kate. Thank you so much. And welcome Miriam. Thank you, glad to be here. So both your lives are Grounded in the arts. I'm, I'm wondering if you can remember the first time that art of any kind, whether a book, music, painting, anything, had a deep effect on you beyond just entertainment.
2: Maybe Kate first? Oh, wow. That is a great question, Ruth. That's a good one to start with. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is my grandmother. Um, my grandmother was an art teacher um, for years. And so and my dad is a wonderful artist, so I, I feel like I was always kind of immersed in in an art and art making. Um, but my grandma, she taught um, art in public middle school in San Jose, oh. California, for many, many years, and was actually the first. She was the only woman to graduate in her in her um, art program in college. Um, wow! And but she gave me she gave me art lessons when I was a kid. I think I was about six or seven, and and we started doing watercolor lessons. And we would paint landscapes together and I have really wonderful, I mean, I always loved to draw and, you know, I really loved writing as well. But I, the first time I really was um, was doing art in that way was with, with my grandma.
1: Oh, that's lovely. Uh, what about you, Miriam? When did you first sort of realize that art had sort of other levels rather than than just being a kind of entertaining thing?
3: Well, that makes hearing Kate talk about her grandmother made me think about my my great aunt Doris, who was an immigrant mm. uh, from from Russia and came to the U.S. when she was nine um, by herself and wow. uh, never learned to read. She didn't. She wasn't able to go to school, but she was a master with her hands and was a, a master seamstress and. I spent a lot of time at her house. She lived a block away from me uh, throughout my childhood, so I spent a lot of time with her, and her house was always about working with our hands and and making something out of nothing, and I've kind of continued to do that my whole life. It really kind of set me up for um, for having this process of, uh, you know, turning your brain off in a way and... Mm and working with your hands and 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 being able to like have this connection mm. um, with making that that has really um helped me out in life and, yeah. and kept me grounded and um my mom also got me this book when i was like 6 mm. about how to make anything hmm. and she went through it with me and we made all these things kind of culminating in a go-kart that you could race down the street (laughs) so so I've always been a maker of things and um, found total joy in that
1: yeah I mean I think that experiencing that having that opportunity as a child it it does open up a different way of connecting and communicating as well doesn't it you you Mm -hmm. sort of mentioned not verbal you know using your hands and and just sort of if someone doesn't model that to you I, I think it's um hit and miss whether you find that for yourself
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll add to that. Um, You know, my first memory of um, writing something creative was when I was about six and I wrote a poem for the first time. And I'm I'm definitely not a poet, (laughs) really not a poet at all. But I used to have a really hard time sleeping when I was a kid. And I remember feeling very frustrated. And I ended up just kind of on my own in a little diary writing a poem about it Mm -hmm. and read that to my parents. And I, I remember feeling like there was something I couldn't quite express about how I was having bad dreams and I was kind of had a hard time with sleeping. But somehow writing a poem allowed me to kind of communicate it. And that was like my first memory of realizing that that art form was a really powerful way that I could express myself. Hmm,
1: interesting. I'm sort of wondering what drew each of you eventually to your particular form of artistic expression perhaps you first Miriam do you think it was that early experience uh, with your family that that made you go towards art you know the early experiences of making
3: yeah definitely Uh, it's the thing that I've always felt most comfortable doing it's like kind of my go-to to to calm myself and right uh, yeah and also express myself and it's you know, I, I'm also a very visual learner. Um, like I want to see pictures that tell stories.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what made you decide to to be an artist professionally rather than as a hobby, for instance?
3: I mean, I think, like I said, it's just something I've always done. It's it's
1: there's kind of a natural the progression.
3: I, the way that I am in the world, and mm. so. Um and I, I know that not everyone has the privilege to do that for their lifetime and, and be able to sustain a a lifestyle by um making pictures but um mm. so I, I, I feel extremely privileged that I've had the opportunity to do that um later in my life here because it is something that I've always done since since I can remember and, and to actually like have the opportunity of mining Kate's books to be out in the world in such a big way Um, I I just feel totally grateful for that every day that that we we can do that.
1: Mm. You work predominantly with paper cut art which perhaps most people are familiar with through silhouette work although it's existed in various complex forms for over 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. What attracts you to relief printing and paper cut out as the main form of your art?
3: Yeah, I mean I've always been drawn personally to really bold graphic uh images. Um I my favorite art to look at is you know, comes from like Mexican tradition of Mexican printmaking and um you know, and, and old Russian posters that were a lot of cut paper.
1: Mm, yeah, that's right.
3: Uh, yeah, and uh basically every every culture has paper cut tradition in it that I know of <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, and and so it, there's a few things I like about it um, I like that it can be like very bold and graphic but it can also be like very delicate as well and um, and I I'm a trained printmaker, so I grew up doing screen printing and wood block and lino cut and those things I still love to do, but they're very uh, labor intensive, you know, but the printmaking process of like making the drawing, transferring it, cutting it out, then printing it. Um, and there's something I love about paper cut where it's just a single piece of paper mm. and you have an X-Acto knife and you cut into it and that's it. Like that's your final piece
1: Right. Yeah.
3: to it. And um, so I, in the last, you know, 10 years I've just really enjoyed um, the simplicity of and the low tech quality of, of paper
1: Right, and it's kind of like all or nothing because it's sort of, it's got to work or it doesn't work when it's all in one piece of paper That's right <laughs> I'm wondering what your process is for creating a piece of art Is the starting
3: point for you usually conceptual? Uh, well with the work that Kate and I are doing It's conceptual in the way that we are trying to make images that are telling stories um, to kind of fight against the current political climate of, you know, where people are feeling fearful and alienated and isolated. We're trying to tell stories that highlight, you know, more joy and and resistance. Mm. And, um, And so the images that we're making are and the words that Kate is writing are speaking um you know to thinking different and persisting and even if if the things um don't work out that there's this um there's this fight going on you know against that kind of fear and isolation and alienation that's happening
1: yeah yeah absolutely And you, Kate, what attracted Mm -hmm. you to writing as your means of creative expression? I mean, you mentioned how you did like, you know, sort of art when you were younger. How how did you come to have writing as your predominant form? Mm
2: -hmm. Well, I think my answer is similar to Miriam's. It's just what I've always done. Right. You know, it's what I've always been um, good at. And I've always, you know, from a very early age, I've just been really drawn to writing and, and, and felt like I, I have always loved telling stories. I was, um, a huge reader. I've always, ha- always have been. Um, and when I was young, my mom worked in a children's bookstore
4: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, so I grew up, um, surrounded by books and we'd go to the library all the time and I loved stories and wanted to write my own. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I wrote, I remember writing a book in second grade and, um, and just feeling like, oh, this is something that I can do and that I'm good at. Um, and so it's, it's, it's been, it's, it's just kind of always been my thing in a, in, a, in a very natural way. I don't think I had one particular moment uh, where I decided to be a writer. It was just, um, it just yeah. it was always Evolved. what I did.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like both of you grew up in, in very creative environments that were very sort of uh, mm-hmm. nurturing of your creativity coming out would you say mm-hmm. yeah yeah
2: sure oh yeah yeah absolutely i i feel you know and i always thank my mom um and my and my dad you know for for giving me that space to create and again for really my mom for raising me in just a house where just books um and stories were just kind of everywhere um and uh i now i'm a total book hoarder i have books everywhere and my my two children are constantly constantly with a book and it's really it's, it's just normal for me you know but sometimes people will see it and comment and say, wow, your kids are always reading. It's amazing. And yeah. for me, it's just like, that's just what you do. It's how, how it is. I mean, my mom's someone who will read an entire novel in one night. She'd Will stay up till four in the morning on a regular basis, devouring a novel. So it's kind of been my—it's been my norm. Yeah,
1: and it's so important with parenting what you do rather than what you say. You know, what you Mm -hmm. model is—that's what they pick up much more than what you tell them.
2: (laughs) So I heard that is very true. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's nice that that's passing on through the generations. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me Ruth Copland and my special guest New York Times best-selling duo author Kate Schotz and artist Miriam Klein Stahl. We're gonna to go to a break now, but we'll be back with more conversation after these messages.
0: Do you like the music from It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland? Have you ever wondered what the full songs sound like? Now you can find out by listening to the new EP, It's a Question of Balance Music, available from iTunes, Amazon, and It's a Question of Balance.com.
1: About you in the
3: rain. Did I or didn't I say it's forever? Well, I know I said it, babe, it just goes nowhere. Well, we can do the things we want, we can do the things we like. But if we're taking all the time, but well, I just don't think that is
0: It's a question of balance music. Download individual tracks or the whole EP from iTunes, Amazon, or it's a question of balance.com.
2: Hi, I'm Casey and I'm the second generation owner of Bookshop Santa Cruz. We pride ourselves on being Santa Cruz's community bookstore. We feature an extensive selection of new and used books, children's books and toys, gifts, cards, magazines, and games. Our knowledgeable booksellers can help you find just the right book or gift. We hope you can join us for our author events each week featuring best-selling authors and books of local interest. And if you can't get downtown, our website has over 3.2 million titles, which ship directly to your home. We even have experts on site to help you publish your own book or family history. Come visit us downtown or at our website, BookshopSantaCruz.com.
0: Bookshop Santa Cruz has been an independent bookseller for over half a century in the community we love. Visit Bookshop Santa Cruz downtown. We love our customers and the books that make it all possible. Bookshop Santa Cruz, online and in downtown Santa Cruz.
1: Welcome back, you're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Coplin and my special guest, New York Times best-selling duo, author Kate Schatz and artist Miriam Klein Stahl. We heard from Bookshop Santa Cruz in the break and if you're listening in the Bay Area I just wanted to remind you again that Kate and Miriam are going to be at Bookshop Santa Cruz on July 23rd at 7pm to talk about their new book Rad Girls Can, answer questions and sign books. So hopefully you might be able to pop along to that. It's a great chance to meet Miriam and Kate in person and I'm going to be going so I hope to see you there. So, Kate, um, Rad Girls Can is, is part of a series of rad women books which have gone from strength to strength. Uh, I wanted to ask you, though, first, how the series got going. What gave you the idea for the first book, Rad American Women, A to Z or Z? <laughs> I,
2: I, no, it's, I love I love the Z. I always forget that that, that is how it's said in many other places. <laughs> um So I got the idea for Rad American Women A2Z when my (laughs) daughter was um, about two years old. And so that's about seven years ago because she just turned nine. And I, as a new parent, I was really struggling to um, adjust to uh, life as a, again, new parent Mm. as well as an artist and an activist. Um like mm. I wasn't feeling as inspired with my fiction writing. Um I just wasn't having ideas in the same way that I felt that I used to. Uh and I was also feeling very disconnected from my activist work and communities. Um you mm. know, I felt like there were I had been involved in a lot of um, Bay Area kind of social justice movements. This is kind of when the Occupy movement was really happening. And yeah. I felt that, you know, there were all these planning and organizing meetings and protests happening. And I wasn't there because I was home with a baby. Right. <laughs> and so I was having, a, I was really thinking a lot about what it meant to be an artist and an activist, and then also a parent of a, of a girl. And so mm. um, one day the, the idea to create a children's book um, or to create a project with women from American history kind of popped into my head. And I have always wanted to do a children's book. Um, You know, although it wasn't my focus at the time, I was, again, I was writing fiction geared toward adults. But um, it, it just kind of came into my mind, I was thinking about what kind of book I would want my daughter to be reading. And it but the more I thought about it, it really seemed like this way for me to bring together or kind of create a new mode of activism um, and, and, and creativity and, and writing for myself. Mm. Um, it took several years for it to actually happen. Cause right. As with many, as with many ideas that we have, uh, you know, I had the idea, I got excited about it. And then I, you know, got distracted because she woke up from her nap. And I had a teaching job and, you know, put it on the back burner for several years. Um, I finally decided to really prioritize it, and I reached out to Miriam um, because I really loved her work, and I thought that her art would be the perfect complement to the stories I wanted to tell. And she said yes right away, and I entirely credit um, her energy with kind of making it happen because Mm -hmm. I think I could have thought about the idea um, and kind of worked on it, but not really done it for a long time. But she really was, um, you know, had the gave it the momentum that it needed, and we we made it happen.
1: Yeah, I think collaborations, especially artistic collaborations, can be really powerful like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, absolutely. All the books are about um, women and girls. You know, some people might think, why not both rad men and and women?
2: Why? So? Uh, yeah, and people people do ask. You know, I love when young people ask that question in particular and we do a lot of events. Um we do school visits and assemblies, um, we go to libraries. So we, we spend a lot of our time throughout the year um presenting to groups of young people, you know, sometimes as young as first grade, um, usually kind of from third grade up through high school. And I love when young people ask that question because I usually turn it back to them. You know, so, Well why do you think I we choose to write about mm. women? Yeah. Um, because they know, <laughs> and they raise their hand, and I'll have they'll be third grade boys, and they raise their hand, and they say, "Because women haven't gotten as much attention as they should throughout history." Oh, wow, that's really um, encouraging and- that they know that. Oh yeah, <laughs> they they absolutely they 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 totally get it, and and I and, the- and I continue. Yeah. Go, Miriam.
3: And then they want to tell us about their mom and their grandma and their neighbor. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool. And so when
2: I'll ask them, I say, you know, does this mean I wrote a book about women and girls? Does that mean I? don't like boys or I don't think men are cool. And they say, no. And I say, you're yeah. right. You know, these are, I'm focusing on the stories that I'm excited about and that I feel like need to be out in the world. And I don't think of these books as just for girls and just for women at all. I absolutely yeah. see these as these are for kids and adults of all genders. These are for men and boys, because if we don't empower young boys and Grown men to appreciate and respect and look up to strong, powerful women, then we're really only fighting like 50% of the battle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I felt I had to ask the question because, you know, some Mm -hmm. people are going to be thinking that. But I think the very fact that I feel I have to ask that question just shows you the environment which we're trying to change because obviously for centuries there have been books completely about men and and that's you know people don't even think about it I mean this is part of the the whole issue isn't it of, mm-hmm. of changing the sort of it gender is. bias and and dynamics of um you know why it it is even a question about why we shouldn't have a book that's all about women and girls because there's plenty of books that are just about men and we don't ask why is that
2: yeah yeah and now that said I do think that there's room and a real necessity to be telling stories about different men um you know there are a lot of really incredible men throughout American history, throughout world history, but in American history, who really have done incredible things. White men who were powerful abolitionists, um, men who are real feminist allies, um, men who have made progressive radical change, Um, and their stories aren't told. Those are not the men that we tend to learn about. So there's absolutely a need for that. It's not what I'm working on at the time, but I fully encourage and welcome anybody who wants to write those books to do so. (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah. I think part of the success of our books as well is that people our age or even even younger parents than Kate and I um, did not have a book like the books we're making. Mm, yeah. and, and so there's been, you know, these generations of people that pick up the book and say, oh, I wish that, that I had this when I was young. And it's funny, you know, I have an 11-year-old and now she's surrounded by books about women mm. with like a feminist perspective and so i wonder if if we are actually changing culture for the younger generation because because they do have access to all these books now that that none of us had and even people in their 20s didn't have
1: yeah well one can only hope they're growing up with a different set of assumptions you know than than older women did you know so So. yeah the books are described as children's books for everyone what does that Mm -hmm. mean to you Miriam
2: perhaps (laughs) or Kate whoever (laughs) both well you know I, I that's how we've come to describe them and I these are marketed and geared toward children and I write them with um a young person in mind, but I also think that good stories are good stories, and yeah. you know, I, I don't think that we need to write um, in an entirely different way to appeal to young people versus adults. Um, I think often we think that we have to really dumb down ideas and writing for young people, or we have to make it really cutesy or crazy or wild and loud in order for kids to like it. And I don't think that's always the case. So I try to write in a style that's just really direct, that's telling stories that are going to be interesting and compelling and inspiring to people of a range of ages. So yeah. we present them, you know, they're aesthetically look like they're for young people. They're bright and they're bold and they're fun. But we have really found and we, we we're, were a little surprised with the first book when we realized how many, you know, college students or grandparents we're buying them and keeping them for themselves. <laughs> um, but it, but it, it, I think it proved a point that we were hoping to make, which is, again, that we can create books that are aimed at children, but that are exciting for adults to read. And I think, again, for Miriam and I, as both having young children, um, we know what it's like to have your child pick a bedtime story that you're really tired of reading <laughs> over and over. <laughs> um, and there's definitely some children's books that I'm you know, get really excited when my kid wants to read. And we wanted to create one of those books, the ones that the parents would be really happy uh, when the kid pulls it off the shelf.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I, I interview quite a lot of, um, well, different authors, but but uh, young adult uh, fiction authors. And, and of course, the readership of those is is much greater percentage of, of people over 18 are reading young adult mm-hmm. novels, for instance. So I think there's definitely... An interest, and um, yeah. I don't know, perhaps an accessibility of of fiction that's um, I don't know. It's it, it, it's an interesting thing, but certainly your book. I mean, you say it's sort of targeted, sort of younger because it's bright and all the rest of it, but it, it's sort of got a coffee table type appeal, I think, mm-hmm. as well, hasn't it? You know, of kind of you could Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: and I, I think for adults too, they're always excited to flip through and see like. Who they recognize and who they don't, and then are fascinated to read stories that they've never heard before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the way you approach the images, Miriam, were you trying to straddle the, the sort of different ages, or, or do you think that the paper cut art is particularly well suited to, to a, a broad age range, perhaps?
3: Yeah, I think it is. I think paper cut is well suited. From you know, even for like a two or three year old, um, I, I've watched really young kids interact with the book, and I think because it's a solid black and white imagery, mm. um, they they pick out shapes like within the face, like they'll see, you know, the eye is like a triangle, mm. you
1: know, and like
3: yeah. and they trace it with their fingers and like, um, you know, and then and then that holds the interest to when. They're like five or six and learning letters, and then they'll read the name, you know, that's really bold there. And then, you know, maybe when they're six or seven, they'll start reading the story. And so I think um, something else I like about our books is that it can hold the interest of kids for many years. I think it's yeah. a book that kids will go back to. Um, over the years
1: yeah well it's certainly wonderful to have those kind of books I still have some books from my childhood and and when you can carry a book through with you I think that's a very unique um, nourishing experience yeah so that's Mm -hmm. great to hear that all the series including rad girls can are about being rad how do you define rad Kate
2: Oh, you know, it's so funny. This is one of the questions we get asked all the time. And yeah. Still, although I feel like we still don't have like a good canned answer. for it. <laughs> You know. Well, um, oh, that's good. I don't so, want a canned
1: answer. So. <laughs>
2: right. We don't give, there are no canned answers here. We are original all the time. No. No. So we, we often do say, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, Miriam grew up in Southern California. We, we both used this word growing up. Like mm. It was totally a part of my kind of eighties childhood, Miriam, a little older of seventies childhood, <laughs> but <laughs> we, it, it's a word that we've been, you know, I've been using my whole life as a, as a Californian. And I remember when we, when we actually pitched the book idea, our, our first editor said, you know, do, do kids really know the word rad? Are they going to get this? And, and I said, you know, I really think they will. And, I can assure all your listeners that when we go to elementary schools and ask them if they know what rad means, they all say, it means awesome. It means really cool. So that's the first level definition is it means awesome and it means cool. Um, But, you know, to go a little bit deeper um, for us, when we think about the women and girls that we profile, they are rad because they had a passion and a commitment and a drive to take action and do something. Yeah. And, you know, whether it was um, a love for art and performance that they really passionately pursued, or, you know, a desire to make a change in the world or their communities, they stood up for something and did, became an activist or ran for office, or a girl who was, you know, really trying to make a change against great odds. Um, they all really worked for some goal and met with obstacles and kept trying yeah um not all the women that we write about succeeded they didn't all win they didn't all survive they didn't all necessarily in their lifetime make the change that they were hoping for but they all made some kind of impact and so for us that's that's kind of our broader definition of what it means to be rad is to really believe in something and and take a stand and take action
3: Hmm. so it's also it's it's getting rad on a skateboard but it's also like getting radical and shutting down the ICE detention center oh right (laughs) yeah a wide range yeah things at once (laughs) yeah
1: there's an issue I think of success being determined by parameters prescribed by men women are most commonly considered equal to men when they're able to function in the same way as men did you Mm -hmm. give consideration to not defining rad in terms of what is rad for men Oh yeah, I, I, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, you you quite often hear about, well, this woman also managed to carry a two hundred pack, you know, pound pack in the Marines, mm-hmm. and so she's great, you know what I mean? And you're like, well, maybe she doesn't have to carry a two hundred pound pack, to, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just this constant thing of women have to be like men to be as good as men, sure. and and so I just wondered if that factored in at all in, into your choices sure. or how you presented things.
2: Well, I mean, there definitely are women that we write about who were the first woman to do X, you know, and that's, I think, a kind of um, a standing or categorization that, that does rely on the presence of men to define it, right? So the first, the first woman to achieve such and such um, yeah. does a little bit rely on that. Um, and I do think that those kind of accomplishments are important. You know, so we'll have like we had um, in Rad Women Worldwide, we write about Junko Tobai, who was the first woman to climb Mount Everest. You know, um, and, and but we also have a lot of women and girls who are just doing rad things, regardless of you know, that don't yeah. rely on on that. You know, I'm, I'm flipping through Rad Girls Can right now and their stories. I think most of them, you know, aren't about uh, trying to achieve a level of success that is. That, that men define it's just doing great things um and 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 making and making making a difference um you know regardless of of what men have done and we also include a number of stories about transgender women as well, and so we're we're also you know kind of pushing against um you know the 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 two gender idea and you know and showcasing those stories as well
1: yeah yeah. Well, if you just joined us, you're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copeland, and my special guest, New York Times bestselling duo, author Kate Schatz and artist Miriam klein Stahl. We're going to a break now, but we'll be back with more conversation after these messages.
0: Ciao, I'm Luca from Tramonti at 528 Seabright Avenue, steps from the ocean. We are the authentic Italian pizza and pasta restaurant, serving also organic salad and house-made dessert in a friendly family-style atmosphere, indoor or on our lovely patio.
1: Tramonti is open every day from noon to nine and later on Fridays and Saturdays. Come enjoy our specials every Tuesday neighborhood night and the best deal for a healthy bite at lunch every day.
0: We bake our bread and prep our fresh pasta and pizza daily. Beppe, Daniel, and I want to say grazie to the Santa Cruz community for supporting us in the past two years. Allora, buon appetito. Visit Luca and Beppe at Tremonte, 528 Seabright Avenue. That's Tremonte, 528 Seabright Avenue.
4: imagine living without stress, anxiety, or fear? And can you imagine a life filled with harmony and inner peace? Is that even possible? The Ananda Yoga and Meditation Center in Scotts Valley offers simple tools to help you become more effective at work and more centered in the face of life's challenges. At Ananda, we offer yoga classes for everybody, inspiring workshops, devotional chanting, and Sunday services based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Our teachers and therapists are highly trained professionals who work together to inspire a healthier you. And your first Ananda Yoga class is always free. Visit us at anandascottsvalley.org or call 338-YOGA. That's anandascottsvalley.org or 338-YOGA.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to "It's a Question of Balance" with me, Ruth Coplin and my special guest, New York Times best-selling duo author Kate Schatz and artist Miriam Klein Star. I just wanted to remind you again, if you're listening in the Bay Area, that Kate and Miriam are going to be at Bookshop Santa Cruz on July 23rd at 7 p.m. July 23rd, 7 p.m. to talk about Rad Girls Can, answer questions and sign books. I'll be going. So I really hope that you will be able to make it and I'll see you there. So... Um, Miriam, I I wanted to ask you. um, You've got this series of books. You've just coming out with "Rad Girls Can." What made you want to um, both do a book about girls?
3: Well, every elementary school and middle school that Kate and I have gone to, kids have asked us, "When are you going to make a book about kids?" (laughs) (laughs) So um, we really listen. To that request and and thought about it for a while, and decided to go for it and and Kate and I both have kids and and so our, our kids also encouraged us to think about stories about young people yeah, and
1: so, yeah, and how does your collaboration with Kate work you know sort of how, how at what point are you involved, or is it literally you know you're back and forthing all the time with the books <laughs>
3: um there you know there's a lot of back and forth you know sometimes the images come first and then the writing and sometimes the writing and then the images and we just keep in constant contact and do some work days together and there's many spreadsheets of <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. you, know, because, you know at first, Kate's lists always are um ninety percent writers. And then then let's add some scientists and some athletes and, um, you know, so we we try to keep our stories pretty diverse in the things that people do. Um, And so that that probably takes the bulk of our time. Our collaboration time is um, really kind of refining those lists of like who we're going to include and and. And being very thoughtful and having a lot of intention around um, what those stories look like and and who is included and who is not.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things I, I was going to ask. I, I wonder, Kate, were there different parameters for who was included with Rad Girls Can or, of who you wanted to have in the book? Yeah, well,
2: from the beginning, with you know, with. From doing Rad American Women A to Z and then with our subsequent projects, we've always prioritized stories of women and girls of color um, and marginalized women and you know, women whose stories aren't told as often. And we're always kind of trying to create a kind of a balance of uh, what they did, what kind of subject or field they worked in. So we always want to be including artists and activists and scientists Mm-hmm. and educators and writers and athletes and really trying to kind of cover a wide range of um, of what they did and what they were involved in. And then we also try to do, have a combination of um, like I said, we like to really mostly include stories about people who aren't as familiar, right? Mm. Um, and maybe whose stories aren't as well known. But then we also do include familiar names and faces, mm. so people who are going to be a little more well known. Um, and that's in part because we, you know, we want readers to feel like they know something about it. It can be a little intimidating if you flip through the book and mm. you've never heard of anybody, right? So we want to yeah. we want to include some familiar people, but then we also like to. Um, You know, maybe write about, you know, take those stories like about Frida Kahlo, for instance, or Mm. Anne Frank, and maybe write about them in a slightly fresh way um, or or even remind. And I found like for myself with, with Rad Girls Can, writing, sitting down to write about Anne Frank, you know, that's a story that is in many ways so familiar to us. But sometimes those stories become so familiar that we forget the details mm. and we forget the nuances. So yeah. it was really powerful for me to go back and reread her diaries and be reminded of the, how incredible um, her writing was and that story is. So um, again, all that is to say it's, it's the parameters are kind of broad, but it's about trying to create this balance of familiarity versus obscurity um, putting the stories of women and girls of color um, as as central to the to the stories uh, and then having a wide range of kind of what field they worked in.
1: Mm. And and then also through history, I I like the fact that you've got, you know, some women from quite
2: a while ago, too. Yeah, That, too. We also like to span uh, the entirety of time. (laughs) So (laughs) we're we're always kind of including. So Rad Girls Can includes um, several stories about girls from real ancient history. Again, we go back to Joan of Arc and um, ancient princesses uh, from ancient Mongolia and China. We have a 16th century Renaissance painter from Italy, uh, but then we also have contemporary girls who are doing things right now. And and again, a big part of that is you know six or seven right now. (laughs) Yeah, well, like literal girls. Um, But a big part of that too is reminding readers that history is not just something that happened a long time ago to a bunch of dead people. Um, History is being made right now. Um, History is something that's living and constantly changing. So by including you know, what we would consider, quote unquote, historical figures uh, alongside contemporary living people. It it kind of tweaks and helps shape how we maybe see history and how it's made.
1: Yeah, yeah. One thing that struck me reading the book is that there's an unavoidable inherent definition of what success is, because a lot of the girls that are featured have had a huge impact, which, Mm -hmm. excuse me, in some ways, could be intimidating Uh, and the last entry of the 50 rad girls in the book is for the reader herself or himself to fill in and you also have a spread with suggestions of how to be rad and I was just wondering as well as inspiring girls to not limit their dreams how important is it for you to support girls to define what success is for
2: themselves? Yeah, that's, I. thank you for asking that and bringing that up, um, because that's something that we thought about a lot with this new book in particular. Um, it was really important to us to include, you know, stories of really great, incredible success, like Olymp- winning Olympic gold medals and, you know, being movie stars um, or enduring incre- – there are stories about girls who've endured incredible hardship, right, Um forced marriage in in African countries. Uh, You know, uh, we have a story about a Syrian refugee who, you know, saved the lives of 20 other refugees in the Mediterranean Sea. So we have those stories of huge, epic triumphs. But we also really thought about wanting to include smaller stories. Um, And we do have a number of stories about young girls who were just kind of normal girls who did some really cool stuff. (laughs) Um, You know, we have a story about a... A middle schooler who wrote a petition to get her middle school to provide pads and tampons for free in the girls' bathrooms because mm. she thought that that was really important, and it succeeded in her in her town. And that's a, you know, it's a smaller story. She's not super famous. Mm. Um, she didn't change the world, but she made a really cool impact in her community. Um, we also have a story about a young woman who ran for office. Um, for local office in in the state of Georgia um, and she didn't win right (laughs) Um, but but she lost by like 23 votes and it's a really empowering story of a young person deciding to run for office so again she didn't win she didn't become famous but we include stories like that because we do want to show a wide range of what it means to be successful and make a difference um, and take a chance because we're not all going to win the election. <laughs> we're not all going to, you know, make it happen right away. But we really wanted to show a range of, of what that can look like.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think it's incredibly inspiring, you know, for women and young girls, you know, to, to see what can be done. And I, I think that's really important to feel you're not limited, you know, that, wow, she did this, mm-hmm. or maybe I could do that. But then it just occurred to me that sometimes one of the hardest things is to do small things with great love, with with no recognition, and and also to yeah. perhaps feel, oh my God, I should be doing something like that, and I'm not. So therefore, what a, mm-hmm. what's wrong with me? <laughs> do you know what I mean? That kind of uh, sort of overwhelm as well. So I I really liked right. the the last page of the book where you kind of put your own stuff in.
2: Yeah, we wanted to include those resources, and and again to think and when we do school visits, we often talk about, you know, what are you doing to make your world rad? And your world is not just the globe, the entire world. It's your, it's your classroom. It's your family. It's Mm. your house. It's your block in your neighborhood. So there are so many different ways that we can make change and, and, and and impact, um, you know, communities. And I, I think that sometimes we get a little bit caught up in these, in offering young people, these like very high level aspirational messages of you can do anything or yeah. achieve your dreams. You can do it. Um, but we lack ex- concrete examples of what that can look like. Mm-hmm. So that's a big thing I think about with this book is underneath the banner of, you know, girls can be anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to make sure that we have these Really specific examples of what that might look like—whether you're into dance or sports or activism or science—there's um, a there's a lot of a lot of examples.
1: Mm. Yeah. I wanted to make a suggestion, this might be something you've already thought of, but I wanted to make a suggestion, I know this is your new book, but in the future for a book, Rad Old Women, because it can can take time to develop one's authentic Mm -hmm. sense of self and voice and have the courage to do stuff and sometimes just have the time, as you mentioned, and there's such an unfair bias against older women in terms of how they're viewed physically, as well as their ability to develop skills later. So I'd be really interested in a book about women who achieve things later in life. So I was thinking maybe that could be your future project. I don't know what you think about that.
2: (laughs) I love, you know, there is a book that came out this year that's actually really along those lines. Oh, really? I'm racking racking my brain to think of the title. It's a beautiful book. uh, And it has interviews and profiles and beautiful photographs of all of these older women who are doing incredible things. And I'm completely blanking on the name.
3: That could kind of be like the history of women in the arts. Absolutely, yeah. Until they're in their eighties.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. It just sort of occurred to me with the going to the, you know, the young, and hopefully, you know, this generation, especially inspired by your book, will achieve things a lot earlier. But I think for perhaps you know older women now, that and through time, as you're saying, Miriam, you know, it's a, it's a. It's been a struggle, you know, and, and um, yeah. I mean, to not give up to think, you know, uh, it can at any moment you can recreate your life.
3: I do want to say my my, my mother, who's in her 80s, uh, when she got a copy of Rad Girls Can, um, she was just in tears. She said, you know, I, I don't know what my life would have been like if I had a yeah. book like this when yeah. I was a young girl.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's wonderful what you're doing.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, but um, yeah, I'll have to look for that book, (laughs) inspiring older women. (laughs)
1: Yeah, there is.
2: I'm going to remember, and I'll put. Maybe we'll find it at bookshop Santa Cruz. Oh, um, there you go. Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, We're coming towards the end of the show, but I I did want to ask you. You're both involved with education. Miriam teaching at the Arts and Humanities Academy at Berkeley High School, and you Kate teaching literature and writing at the college level. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the place of art in education. The arts are always top of the list of any budget cuts being seen more as a luxury rather mm. than a necessity. How do you see the place of the arts in education?
3: Well, I obviously am biased. And <laughs> <laughs> we're both very, we're both very biased. And, and or correct, I would call it. A, it. <laughs> you know, I, I was, it was, very fortunate to create a small school for the arts. So all of our curriculum at the school I teach at, it has arts as a focus and, and everything is taught through the lens of the arts. So um, clearly I think that it's a great way to learn about every subject through through a creative process.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. and, sorry,
2: go on, Kate. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I actually for the past, Um, nine years was teaching at a public arts high school in Oakland, Um, and so I shared those thoughts with Miriam. I mean, I was teaching creative writing to high school students and absolutely saw what it did for them, not just for creating poetry and stories, but giving them the confidence to express themselves, to think critically, um, to to challenge ideas in the world. And my daughter goes to an arts integrated um, public elementary school, where they also really use arts as the lens through which they explore all of their subjects. Um, And it's, you know, yeah, I see firsthand, uh, I've seen it as a parent and a teacher, what, what it does for young people when we bring arts um, into the classroom. And I also know it for myself because, uh, you know, as I said earlier in the interview, I loved writing my whole life as a child. It's what I was always doing, but I never took it seriously. Um, and I never uh, really got to do it in a school setting until I was in high school. And my junior year, I had an English teacher who let us uh, did a creative writing unit in our honors English class. And that was the first time I ever wrote a short story and shared it with someone. And it really was like a catalyzing moment for me when he encouraged me to study creative writing um, in college, which I did at UC Santa Cruz. And I didn't know that you could actually major in creative writing. And, you know, and I I really think a lot if I hadn't have had that opportunity in my in my public high school classroom, um, you know, I don't know if I would have gotten the uh, encouragement and legitima- legitimization from um, from a teacher that really gave me that push to take it seriously so yeah.
3: I, th- I think we, it's also a way to build in agency and, and student and student voice um, that they carry with them, whether they go into the arts or not
1: yeah absolutely I, I agree mm-hmm. and I think as we spoke about earlier also it gives you a sort of a broader and deeper Way of communicating and it and enables you to even communicate verbally differently, I think, when you have these other ways of, of exploring your own feelings and and others through sort of empathy that can come through art
3: yes mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
1: well, thank you so much for both of you coming on the show um, it's been great talking to you, and um, I also wanted to say you know historically it's been so hard for women to be seen in society, and the arts. Is particularly you know women artists have been sidelined, as Miriam mentioned in the art world. Is mm-hmm. still dominated by men, and I think there's a really pleasing symmetry showcasing women's achievements in the world through a work of art. So um, I really want to wish you all the best with Rad Girls Can, and we're really looking forward to seeing you in Santa Cruz. See
3: you in Santa Cruz. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. I, lo- I love I love bookshop Santa Cruz. I've I've been shopping there for so many years. So I'm really happy to to finally do an event there. Great. Well, we look
1: forward to seeing you here. <laughs> thank you yep. well if you enjoyed this interview you can tell your friends they can check out the podcast at it's a question of balance.com. you can also find all my past shows there with inspiring guests and thought-provoking topics thanks for joining me and I look forward to being with you again next time